know, when I was a child, I never heard the uh, things that my parents said about me. Uh, somebody's going to chuckle for that, but um, I should probably qualify that. I heard what they said to me. I, I knew when they would tell me that they loved me or when they tell me they were proud of me. I knew the things that they said to me, how they, how they poured themselves into my lives. I, I knew all of those things, but I didn't hear what they said to others about me. Um, there are certain things you don't share with each other. There's just certain things that, that aren't, aren't that don't happen. But as I got older, something strange began to happen. Um, with my mom, at least. Of course, as I got older, my dad was already in the nursing home. So he didn't do this. My mom, though, as an adult, I would experience situations where someone would meet me and tell me how much they heard about me. Um, my mom was a talker. She talked a lot. And evidently, I was one of her favorite subjects. Um, she would talk about the work that I did, about me being a pastor. And she would talk about how she just thought I was the world's greatest son and that I was always there for her. These are things that people would tell me every time they met me, that I took care of her, that, that she was, uh, in so many ways, my best friend and I was hers. And, and as I grew and became older, I began to recognize a strange phenomenon, the the descriptions that she gave of me began to affect how I saw myself. They began to affect how I reacted. They began to, to form who I became. What began as a description of the things that I do began to drive me to do the things that I knew I should do. In essence, my mom's words became a, a prophecy of who I would and could be. And as we come to our, our final week in this Be the Church series, we turn our attention to a, a similar description of who the church is to be in the world. It, it's both a description of what the author of our text has seen and experienced, but also a charge of what we are to live up to. The book we're in is 1 Peter. Uh, and, and Peter is writing to believers scattered throughout the known world. Um, and he's writing about the salvation and faith that they received in Jesus. He's reciting, he's, he's writing about uh, the lives that they're living in and what they should look like. And in the midst of this, he gives a description of the church that's rooted in the promises of God uh, to Abraham and Israel uh, in the books of the law. And in that description is where I believe we find the best description of who the church is and that description where we turn our attention to today. It's there in 1 Peter chapter 2, two short verses. And he says there, starting in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you and praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel, and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us today. Thank you for this time together, and we ask that you would bless it. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. He says we are a chosen people. 
This description is given in response to how the nation of Israel as a whole, the Jews, as Peter would call them, have responded to the appearing of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. They, basically, the entire nation has rejected him and his message. And Peter, who is a Jew, is writing to other believers and talking about this situation and how Jesus has become a stumbling block for those who will not hear the message of salvation. He says, but you're a chosen people. You are a chosen people. There's a tension here in which we live as believers. This tension between the fact that we are a chosen people, chosen by Jesus, chosen by God, but yet choosing to follow Him. In the book of John, this amazing thing happens where in one chapter it says, we have chosen to follow you, and then Jesus turns on a couple chapters later and says, but I chose you. And so there's this tension in which we live of being both chosen and choosing. We could probably spend six months, honestly, or more hashing out the meaning of this little phrase, chosen people. It can affect every part of your theology. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to simply say that being a chosen people means that God has a plan for who we are. So being a chosen person means God has a plan for who we are. We can spend years debating predestination or free will or any other theology affected by this phrase, chosen people. But no matter where you fall on the theological spectrum, being chosen always means there is a plan. And so being chosen. In school, when you pick teams, anybody else ever hate that process in school? <laughs> you pick teams. That's the most nerve-wracking thing to go through in elementary school, right? You're sitting there and you pick teams. And the people who pick, pick with the plan. They pick with the plan. They're either going, I want to win this game. And I know him and her and him and her, they're the best players. I want them. Or those are my best friends. And I don't care if we win. Or if we lose miserably, they're my best friends and I want them. But there's always a plan in the choosing. When you are begin dating and choose people to date, and later when you get married, you choose someone to marry. There's a plan for your choosing. Today, most of us don't go, next guy who walks past the window, I'm going to go out. <laughs> That's not how it usually happens. There's, there's things that we think about. There's things that we do. We have a plan in place for who we're going to choose. And if we don't, we, we might need to rethink that, that whole thing. I mean, we might want to know. Uh, so there's always this plan. Chosen means having a plan. There was a plan to being chosen. So when things are chosen, there's a plan. No matter what else being the chosen people means, it always means God has a plan for who the church is. But he goes on to say you're a royal priesthood. Now in the Old Testament... God told Israel that they were a royal priesthood. He brought them out of Egypt so that they could be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he went along and set up the Levitical priesthood, which makes some of us go, we're supposed to be priests, but they're the priests. How does that work? Well, the truth is, Israel as a whole was supposed to be the mediators for all the nations around them. But they needed the Levitical priesthood to mediate between them and God. There was a duty to do. The Levitical priesthood was necessary while man was still under the bondage of sin. But then Christ came. And he sacrificed himself to triumph over sin. And opening this door for us to be adopted as sons and daughters. Thereby needing no mediator but Christ. We're a royal priesthood. Why? Because Jesus is the king of kings. And I'm adopted as a son of God, which means Jesus is kind of my spiritual brother. And if Jesus is the king,
before God. It's royal because we're joint heirs with the king, but also because there are no limits in the mediation to stand before God. We can stand before God on our own. We can go to God and talk to him. That's the royal. But what about priesthood? That speaks to our function. We are called to be priests in the world. From the janitor to the evangelist, we are called to be priests. And that might scare some of us. I don't want to be a priest. I don't want to do those things. I don't want to have to, to go out and, and put myself out there. But what did the priests do? They went before God on behalf of others. They were literally taking other people before God. See where we're going with this. What are we to do as priests? We're to take other people before God. How do we do that? We pray for them for one. I mean, there are lots of people who have been saved out of the pits of darkness and brought into God's glorious light over the prayers of a mama and a grandma on her knees. Taking them continually before the throne of grace. Taking them and saying, God, they're not mine. You gave them to me, and I love them with, with everything I have left over after loving you. I'm, but they're yours. Please, please, please bring them into a relationship with you. That's what we're called to do. To witness to people, to love on them, to pray for them, to offer our bodies up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Our job is to make sure that others know Jesus that are continually brought before Jesus. That's our job. They need to know who Jesus is. Not the Jesus that media portrays. The Jesus that the Bible portrays. The Jesus that alive with him portrays. Because the Jesus of media sometimes is kind of out there. He's a cosmic zombie who comes back with a sword and a white horse. That's scary. The Jesus of Scripture is the one who said, I'll go with the greatest lengths so that you don't have to. The work of the Levi never stopped. I think I preached this sermon here before about the fire that the Levites had to keep lit. Day in and day out. The flame could never go out. I have experience with that this week. Um, <laughs> keeping a fire going 24 hours a day can get a little difficult. But the Levites could never stop. They had to go back and forth, back and forth, continually keeping that process going, making sure that the things happen. That is what the priesthood is supposed to do. We are supposed to continually do the things that God would have us to do. We're chosen people, which is our plan. We're a royal priesthood, which is our function, but we're also a holy nation. A holy nation. You know, not every believer in the world is going to live in the same country. You know that? Did you know that every Christian is an American? Just thought I asked. They're not. So what does that mean? How are we a holy nation if we don't all live in the same nation? What, what do we do with that? Well, what does a nation do? A nation cares for their citizens and affects the world by the laws, policies, and procedures by which their country is governed. Many would say the USA is the greatest nation in the world. And we change the world for the better. Some might say that North Korea is the worst, and they bring it down. But if priesthood is our function, being a holy nation is our purpose. The purpose we have is to be a holy nation. Believers are scattered throughout the world. In a literal sense, 
We are all citizens of different countries, but as kingdom economics go, we're citizens first of the kingdom of God. And that's a tension we live in here in America. We have an allegiance to the kingdom of God before we have an allegiance to the nation in which we live physically. And that's hard because it's so easy. It's so easy to be patriotic and excited about our country. But do we have the same fervent spirit for the kingdom of God? I don't know if y'all follow that on Facebook. Sometimes we post some decent stuff, so I'll look at that. We posted a picture this week of some people at the ball game covered in snow. He said, if we had that kind of passion for church, how much could we change the world? And I'm as bad, I don't, don't take this as me preaching at you because I'm preaching to me too. I mean, you know, and at an event yesterday, and, you know, I was as patriotic as anybody else there. Because I love honoring our veterans and I love singing the national anthem. I love doing those things. But we're called first to the kingdom of God. We're called first to be those people. And so our lives should be led according to the laws, policies, and procedures of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. By doing so, we affect the world around us to become more like the kingdom we ourselves are part of. That might be the part where we felt more than any other. It's hard for us to do. Our purpose is to bring change in the world because we're all part of the same kingdom. Think about the change that would be brought if all of us who were believers actually lived as Jesus called us to live. <laughs> Blessed are peacemakers, but they should be called sons of God. <laughs> a chosen people is the plan. A royal priesthood is a function. A holy nation is our purpose. We are a people, it says, belonging to God. That's our place. We belong to God. All we are and do should find its source in Him. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? That's, that's the real question for us. We're supposed to belong to Jesus. We've been... We've been bought at a price. He paid the ransom. He got us out. You ever been in jail? Okay. I have, so I'll, I'll go through this with you. Um, when you're in jail, everybody's looking at me like, I wasn't, I was innocent, but, and I really was. But, um,
They got tomato. And they took me up before I knew mama. I don't know why I have to make it. And they said, Bella said it $10,000. This was in one So you can look, it's public record. Oh, <laughs> oh the whole courtroom, all these other prisoners were like, what did that guy do? They, did, they wouldn't get near me in the cell after that. Oh, $10,000. But what that means when you have that, 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 that warrant, that, that bounty, whatever you call it, that's your price. And if you get out of jail on that bond, and you don't follow through, that's the price of your freedom. Because they'll come get you, and they'll take you back to jail, and you'll have more charges put on over that. That's the cost of it. Jesus put up the bail. He placed the bond. He took the surety and put it down, and he paid the price. We're out. We're free. We don't have to go back. That's what he gave for us. He put that up, and that's what we are called to do. We belong to him. Anybody watch Dog the Bounty Hunter? That's what he does, right? He chases down those people for a price who, who so, they belong to somebody else right now because they still owe them $50,000. That's what's going on. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus. We don't do any of these things for us. The plan, the function, the purpose aren't about me or you or what we want. They're completely about God and what God wants. We belong to God. Let that settle in. The things that we do, the choices we make, shouldn't be about you. They should be about Him. That's hard. Man, that's hard. Because I like freedom. Anybody else like freedom? I like freedom. But my choices shouldn't be about me. They should be about, does it glorify Him? Is this what He, he wants me to do? The church, this church, belongs to God. We as individuals belong to God. That means we should make our decisions based on that. As the saying goes, if God is your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. Because God should be the pilot, not the co-pilot. We have to know our place and know that we are in the possession of God. Because that's who we are. We have what we have because of Him. And we don't have the things we don't have because of Him. The quickest way for us to fail in our plan, our function, and our purpose is to forget our place. That's post that The quickest way to fail in all those other things is to forget our place. That it's not about me. It's not about, it's not about us. It's about Him. It's about what He wants. When things become about us and not about Him, we don't do the things we're called to do. When the me mentality takes over, over the he in our lives, he takes a back seat. Then we all fail at what he has called us to be. So we're a chosen people, which is our plan. We're a royal priesthood, which is our function. We're a holy nation, which is our purpose. We belong to God, which is our place. And then after all that, he offers up proof. We do all these things, we are all these things as proof of who Jesus is in our lives. All these things he puts here, once we were in darkness, but now we are in light. Thursday morning, some of you may have slept through it. A lot of you didn't because you were on Facebook at 3 in the morning. But the power went out. And we got up. I got up. And it was dark. 
And I didn't know where the candles were. You know how hard it is to find candles when it's dark? He's called us out of darkness into the light. Here's the key. We shouldn't look at things the way we used to look at things if we're in the light. We shouldn't look at things that way anymore. Man. <coughs> Most of y'all have heard about my situation this week. And, and, and y'all are concerned, and I love y'all for being concerned. Um, but I've laughed quite a bit this week. <laughs> because I don't look at those situations in a bad way anymore. I'm not in the darkness. I'm in the light. And God can take any situation and bring a blessing out of it. He can take any situation and reveal to me things that I wasn't seeing in the darkness. Because here I was in the darkness and I was struggling. And, and when you're in the darkness, all you see is the darkness, right? You ever been there? You ever been stuck in the darkness and all you can see is the bad things? And everything you saw was bad. And it didn't matter what it was. You can walk outside and say, the sun's too bright. Yeah, my, you know, we're all out there going, I'm not going to say it, but yeah, he's right, huh? Because we've all been there, right? The sun's too bright today. Or it's too cloudy. Or we have too much rain. Or we don't have enough rain. We can always find the darkness. But what about the light? What about what God can be doing? Once you were to people, but now you're the people of God. Without Jesus, who are we? We're strangers. Without Jesus, we may have never known each other, right? Think about that. Without Jesus... I would not be here today. Without Jesus, Matt would not be here today. Neither would Emily or Carrie, I don't think. But you never know. They may have been here on their own. But we wouldn't be here. We're only here because we're serving Jesus. And Jesus brought this church together. It's because of Jesus. We weren't a family. We were strangers. But now we're the family of God. God does major things when He does things. These are the proof. God has changed this. You know, we, a lot of us have nothing in common, right? I mean, honestly. We, we might like some of the same music, but some of us look at each other when we go. I can't believe that guy. Yeah. We rub it. But God changes that. It makes us family because, let's be honest, we don't always like our family. We love our family. We may get, up, we may, we may get darkness when we, we, we get past that. He says, once we have not received mercy, we were dead in our sins. Sin held sway and we were simply let around by the whims of our emotion and our sinfulness. We were lost. But now we have received mercy. We're found. We're saved. We've been made clean. We're all of these things. We're called to be all of these things as proof of who Jesus is. That's why this series has been so important to me. Because being the church as described in Scripture is how the world knows that Jesus is alive. That's how they know that there is something in who he is that they want to be a part of. And if the church isn't doing what the church is supposed to do, it's just a social club. And we're not called to be a social club. We're called to change the world. We're called to love on each other. We're called to love on the people out there. We're called to be light in a dark world. He takes a community of strangers and picks them into a family. He brings light into the darkness. He brings mercy to those who don't receive it. That's what God does. So who is the church? It's the people of God. Call of Him into His plan to minister to the world, bringing about change by living as the people of God.
That's the church. And as we end this series, be the church, we have to realize that will mean that we must move out of these walls. I hope you didn't get out of bed this morning and say, I think I'll go to church. Because you don't go to church. You are the church. We come to worship. We come to fellowship. We don't come to church. That's our name. That's who we are. It's, it's what we are called to be. We can no longer be okay with doing church. When we just do church, we lose part of what it means. <laughs> A lot of y'all have said to me about the kids, hold on to these moments because they go fast. If I just do parenting, I miss something about being a parent. If I'm just doing church, I'm missing something about being church. We have to strive to be the church. We are a chosen people. That is God's plan for our, our lives and the life of our family. We are a royal priesthood. That's our function, to take Jesus to the world. We're a holy nation. That is our purpose, to be set apart for God. We are God's possession. That's our place in life. He owns us. He bought us. He purchased us. He's given us everything that we have, and we need to bow down and worship our Lord. And the proof is in who He has called us to be and the things that He has given us. Man, that excites me. You know, that last song we sang, that's what it's all about. We were something different, but we are something wholly different now. We have come into something else, and we have salvation, and nobody can take that away from us. It doesn't matter what this world looks like, because this world looks horrible. Nobody wants to look at this world most of the time. We look at it and we go, uh, I only want to look at the world. If you send me to the mountains and nobody's around, and I can look at what God's doing, I'm fine with that. But put me in the middle of a crowd, and I'm just like, I want to strangle half of them, because the devil starts to take a hold. I want to be who God has called me to be. And we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus and be out there and be the people that God has called us to be. You know, maybe this morning you've been doing church. Maybe church is that thing that you're checking off of your list every week. Well, time to go to church. Quit coming to church. Now don't get mad at me because I say quit coming to church. Because I don't mean don't be here. Be here. Come to worship. But be the church. Maybe this morning you've been struggling in one of those areas because you've been trying to hold on to your place because you want your place to be number one. I'm number one. But you're not. And even when you think you are number one, you're still not number one because God's still above you even when you're rebelling against Those of us who have strong-headed children who take after their parents, um, you know that sometimes they think they're number one and they're the boss. 
But there's still always someone bigger. There's always someone above them. Carrie can, Carrie can vouch for me that my mama, what, 5, 10, 5, 11, until the day she died, mama could tell me to stop, and I would stop because she's mama. Maybe today you need to learn your place. You need to say, okay, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Maybe today you're ready to just go out and just set the world on fire. It is time to set the world on fire. The fields are ripe unto harvest. We just got to go out there and do the work. Maybe this one you have something else. Maybe you just want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve in missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe maybe some other needs that I haven't brought up. Now's the time. Come on down. I'll pray with you. Maybe maybe this one you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe maybe you've always been on the fence. Maybe you've heard about it and you've wondered about it and you want to know what it, what it means and, and what does that entail. Well, it means you become part of a family and you're no longer on your own. And no matter how everything turns out or how your physical family is, you have a family who loves you and who will walk with you and who will be there for you no matter what else is going on because Jesus has pulled us together. That's what it means. Don't wait anymore. Come down the aisle and know Jesus and know freedom and know release today. And take that old man of sin and put him to death and run out of the grave. But take this time. Give it to him. Make your needs known to God and he will listen to his children. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.